You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. I invite you to remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our text before us is in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as we continue our series, the songs of Advent, we find ourselves here in this second song, Zechariah's song, Zechariah's Benedictus. Luke chapter 1, our verses before us start in verse 68, but we're going to start our reading in verse 57. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all their neighbors And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Beloved, this is God's holy word. You may be seated. The 
There's nothing like a good sunset. My favorite sunsets are the ones in October when the sky is filled with all of those oranges and reds and streaks of blue. They're my favorite. And yet, sunsets don't last very long. Soon the reds and the oranges, they give way to deeper colors, to purples. And then comes the night. Darkness falls. And there's something unsettling about darkness. And I'm not talking about the kind of darkness where, you know, you go up to the mountains and the deserts and you see the full moon and the the stars just fill the sky and you're able to see before before your path. But the kind of utter darkness where you can't see your own hand in front of your face. That kind of paralyzing darkness. It's unsettling when you're completely without the aid and help of even a beam of light. And here in this text, this morning, we find ourselves in the first chapter of Luke as we're moving through this Advent series and we see this song which is a beam of light, a shimmer, even more than a shimmer, of light piercing through the darkness. Last week, we saw Mary as she was celebrating Christ, this little baby in her womb, and magnifying the Lord in her soul. And this week, we turn to Zechariah and hear his song, where he is doing just the same, magnifying the Lord who has sent salvation and deliverance to his people. And so as we move through this section, this song, we'll work through it in two movements. First, salvation has come, verses 68 through 75. Salvation has come, Zechariah declares and sings. And movement two, what a great salvation verses 76 through 79. First, salvation has come. And second, what a great salvation. First, salvation has come. In the very first verse of our passage this morning, Zechariah the priest is opening his mouth and he's declaring this praise and this doxology to God, glorifying God. In church history, this song is referred to as Zechariah's Benedictus. And that word Benedictus, it's Latin. It literally means blessed. Zechariah's blessed. The the reason why it's called that is because that's the very first word of this song. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. But it's important to know that this is relatively new. To Zechariah, since for the past nearly a year he hasn't been able to speak. He's been mute. If you remember in chapter 1 of Luke's account, Zechariah the priest, he's in the temple and he's serving in the temple. And the angel Gabriel shows up to him in this glorious vision and says, You're going to have a son, and you're to name him John. And John is going to play a pivotal role in salvation history because he's going to go before the Lord to prepare his ways. 
And Zechariah, in turn, responds and says, I don't think you have the right person. Elizabeth, my wife, is barren. We're really old. And I don't know how this is going to happen. And the angel responds and says, essentially, because you just said that, I'm going to close your mouth until your baby boy is born. And so for all of these months, Zechariah has been mute. He hasn't been able to speak. And then the Lord loosens his tongue at the birth of his son. Just imagine, I can't go an hour without talking. Just imagine months upon months of not being able to speak. And then the Lord loosens your mouth. If you were Zechariah, what would you say? For us, we don't have to wonder what Zechariah says. Because he says right here in this text, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. His immediate knee-jerk reaction is praise and thanksgiving to God. And I, I can't even imagine the kind of joy and celebration that Zechariah and Elizabeth must be experiencing. Not only has the Lord opened the womb of Elizabeth and given them child in their old age, but this child is no ordinary child. This is a child of promise. This is a child that is going to be pivotal in ushering this new phase of redemption history. And isn't this the nature of our God? The one who uses the brokenhearted. The one who uses the destitute to bring about such beauty and grace. And so this child is born, John. He's circumcised on the eighth day and Zechariah burst out into song. However, you may have already noticed this, but Zechariah does not start this song out with shouts of joy over his baby boy, John. And we might wonder, is Zechariah aloof here? How come it doesn't say, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, it's a boy. Is Zechariah tone deaf to the moment here? And the answer is no, not at all. He being filled with the very Holy Spirit of God knows full well what is happening. His baby boy, John, John the Baptist, is a sign and proof that the Messiah the Savior, the long-awaited King of Israel has finally come. Baby John is not the Redeemer, but we'll see later in this text and later in Luke's narrative that he has come to prepare the way for the Redeemer to come. And Zechariah here, he's doing the same thing. Last week we heard Mary's song, Mary's Magnificat, and it's all about the Savior to come who's in her womb. And this song, it's the same thing. It's the same song, essentially. Zechariah is singing the same chorus, the same harmony with Mary. And that chorus is that God has sent salvation and redemption to his people. Look at verse 68 with me. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. God is announcing through this prophecy, through Zechariah, 
after 400 years of silence from the prophets, that salvation has finally come. It had been 400 years in Israel's history where God had been silent, where God had not spoken to a prophet to and then turn to God's people and speak. And so here, Zechariah is breaking the silence with this song, with shouts of joy, of deliverance and salvation. If you've ever gone snorkeling, you'll know the feeling, snorkeling, scuba diving, you'll know the feeling of putting on the mask and you're about to launch into the water. And as soon as the mask hits the water, depending on where you go, right? Not Seal Beach. But if, you, if, if your mask hits the water and you're in a, a tropical place, you automatically are transported into a whole nother world full of beauty and color and life. And it's the same thing with this text. So bear with me, church, as we plunge into what Zechariah is saying. May we come up for air and be filled with wonder at all that he has accomplished. So there's so much here in this text. We could go on and on, but I want to draw our attention and zoom in on two essential things that we see here in the text to get a grasp of the main idea. First, notice how faithful God is. Notice how faithful God is to his people. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Can you hear the faithfulness of God to his people? Verse 72, to show, in order to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham. Notice the language the Lord God of Israel, redemption for his people, salvation for his people, according to the promise declared to Abraham, the oath he swore to Abraham. This is a rich prophecy filled with so much significance for God's people. And this is really pivotal for us to understand as we jump in and dive in and see all that there is to see. And second, notice with me how long God's people had been waiting. Notice with me how long God's people had been waiting for this coming rescue, this coming salvation. This deliverance, this rescuer from the line of David, God spoke of, look at verse 70, by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. The prophet Moses would speak of a day when a king would ascend from the line of Judah and that the scepter would not depart from Judah. Isaiah prophesied of a day when a virgin would conceive and give birth to the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Micah, the prophet, prophesied of a day when this Messiah, this coming king and savior would be born in Bethlehem. And it goes on and on. In Israel's history for thousands of years, from Hosea to Ezekiel to Zechariah to Zephaniah and Jeremiah, long ago, 
Hebrews 1, 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. And so the people of Israel had been waiting and longing eagerly for the day when this would actually and finally and ultimately be realized. So as we come up for air, what's the point? The point is that God is faithful to fulfill his promises to his people. God is faithful to fulfill specifically his promise of redemption and salvation to his people who have been waiting a very long time. And church, as we are in this Christmas Advent season, it's really significant and special as we get to gaze at Christ, as we get to peer in to this scene where Christ is born in Bethlehem, this baby in the manger who is the rescuer. This is so significant and this is so good for our souls. And isn't it so easy to forget that this moment didn't just happen randomly. That God didn't just decide one day, oh, I'll I'll send my son to be the savior. But this has been planned before even the earth's foundations have been laid. And God's people have been waiting and waiting and waiting. When I get a package after two months of deliveries or delays, I'm so ecstatic, right? And here, for thousands of years, God's people have been waiting. And that day has finally come. And Zechariah sees that day. And he shouts out. He can't, he can't just say it. He sings that this day of deliverance and salvation has come. But it gets even better. It gets even better. And this leads us to our second point. How great a salvation. How great a salvation. Up to this point, Zechariah has been praising God in song over salvation and redemption and rescue. And here in verse 76, there's a pivot. There's a turn where we start to see that Zechariah gets a lot more clear about what this salvation is going to look like. How this is going to pan out. Look with me at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Just imagine with me Zechariah holding his new little baby boy. Up up to this point, before he's been addressing God and extolling God, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Salvation has come. And then he turns his attention to his little baby boy and addresses him in this prophecy and says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Earlier in this chapter, when Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, to Mary, the baby in your womb is son of the Most High. And here in this text, Zechariah declares that his son is not the son of the Most High, but the prophet of the Most High. It's clear that this text 
shows us that that Zechariah is excited, to say the least, but he's not ultimately excited merely about his son, but what the, the, the birth of his son means for salvation to his people. The one who will prepare the way for the son, the Most High. Upon being asked if John, the Baptist, was the Savior, the Redeemer, in Luke chapter 3, John says, no, not at all. I'm not even worthy to untie the Savior's sandal straps. And here, Zechariah, he doesn't start mentioning his own boy until the ninth verse of this song. And as John grows and matures into his role, as he prepares the way of the Lord, he too prioritizes God, namely Christ, above himself as he declares Christ must increase, I must decrease. And this essentially summarizes John's role. This is his role. To point to another, to point to Christ. John is a forerunner. He's the one pointing people to the coming Messiah, to the one in Mary's womb. He prepares the way of the Lord by proclaiming a message of repentance. Salvation by repentance. We see this in verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And again, later in Luke's account in in chapter 3, John the Baptist, he's declaring this message. He's baptizing people. This baptism of repentance and saying, the Lord is coming. Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn to the Lord. And so this is the heartbeat behind John the Baptist's message because this is the heartbeat behind Jesus Christ's message. John came to give salvation, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus is the salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. But notice with me in the first half of this song, Zechariah is speaking and talking about salvation and deliverance from enemies, from actual enemies, from the hands of those who hate God's people. He says this over and over again. This is the kind of description that Zechariah ascribes to the enemies in the first half of this song. And Israel had many enemies. Israel was enslaved in Egypt, taken captive by the Assyrians, taken captive by the Babylonians. And at this time, as Zechariah is singing, they're currently under the occupation and dominance of Rome. And so Israel is accustomed to many enemies. However, all of Israel's enemies are ultimately expressions of the greatest enemy of all, that being sin. And we see that In the verse, juxtaposed with the first half of this song, deliverance from enemies, from those who hate God's people, to verse 77, salvation to his people, deliverance in the forgiveness of their sins. That's the greatest enemy of all. Our last apartment, we had an infestation of cockroaches. And I know, Anna, at... At first, we didn't know. We just thought, oh, there's a cockroach, and there's another one, and 
there's another one, and they, they were cropping up. And I'll spare the details, but essentially what we found out is uh, that it, just, it wasn't just a cockroach here and there, but a whole infestation within the foundations of our home. And that's a picture of what sin is. Israel had many enemies here and there and, and there, but underneath the surface, with, under the foundations, Israel's greatest enemy has always been sin. And this is no different with us. Sin at its core, it's rebellion against God. It's stiff-arming God. It's stiff-arming the God of creation who created you and me. Because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, everything and everyone has been affected by this rebellion, which is why Paul says that all have sinned, all, both Jew and non-Jew, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's not like an infestation of cockroaches because you can ultimately do something about it. You can get exterminators and you could handle and address the situation. But with sin, there's nothing we can do. You can try and cram your pride and envy and lust down and it might work in the sense of you might be able to hide it well from people But at the end of the day, your sin is still there. And you cannot hide from the one to whom you must give an account. And so if you've tried to cram it down and down and it's frustrating because it keeps coming up, you could try to embrace it and identify with it and say, you know what, I'm so tired of playing this game. I'm just going to embrace my sin. This is who I am. But at the end of the day, it's still there. And if your sin is still there, then that is a big problem. Because the enemy of sin leads to the greatest enemy, which is death. It's like what Jim Oreck says. Sin is like the tip of the iceberg, but underneath the surface is this massive ice mountain that everyone will face at the end of our days. And this is why Paul says in Romans 5.12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. But, verse 77, God has given salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Sin cannot go unpunished. God would not be a holy and just and loving God if he let the guilty go unpunished. So God is holy and God is righteous and he's wrathful against sin and he is so merciful. 78. He does this because of the tender mercy of his own character, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness 
and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The coming of Christ, this advent, was only the beginning, only the beginning of this wonderful good news of salvation and redemption. This little baby in the manger in Bethlehem is like the sun coming up over the mountains, ready to spill light into all the dark valleys. And this baby would grow and live 33 years in perfect submission to his heavenly father, fulfilling God's holy law. And it isn't until Christ's death on the cross and his glorious resurrection that we see not just the sun peeking over the mountains, but high as at midday, fully shining upon all the darkness. And this forgiveness of sins, this great and mighty deliverance that we experience was a gift. It was given to us at the expense of Christ's sufferings on the cross. Which is why Isaiah, one of the prophets from of old that Zechariah sings about, says this. Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The sunrise of God's grace and manifold love and mercy. It shines. It shines and pierces the darkness because this sunrise was crushed and beaten and bloodied at the cross and was subsequently raised from the dead. This is salvation. This is what Zechariah is saying. This is true salvation. This is true deliverance. This is like the sun's rays upon those who are cold and in the dark. And if you are in the dark this morning, if you are in the dark and are tired of experiencing the cold and the lifelessness which comes from your sin, which only promises life, you cannot do anything to pull out and draw out the mercy of God. You cannot do anything on your own to draw out his mercy, just like you cannot do anything on your own to draw out the rays of the sun to warm your skin. And so you simply step into the light. That's what we do. That's what we're doing here. You step into the light. And brother and sister, those who have stepped into the light, what do you do in the darkness? When it's cold, in your sin, when you've been sinned against? As you are fraught with all that comes in this fallen creation, what do you do? You keep coming to the light. You simply bask in the sunrise of his glory. And this is simple, but it's not simplistic. It's profound. And this season often is filled with deep sorrow. If, if that's you, if this is a particular, particularly difficult season for you, 
please don't hear me, and most importantly, this text, this text say that rejoicing in the sunlight of God's grace looks like skipping and dancing and laughing. It can also look like basking in the sunlight of God's mercy and grace while tears stream down your face. And he's faithful to dry and to wipe away our tears. And church, think about this amazing reality. Zechariah and the Jewish people had been waiting thousands of years for this Messiah. And deliverance and salvation had finally come to the people of Israel. And now we see in Christ's advent, in Christ's coming, that this salvation has namely come through, through Christ, through the very Son of God who offers and extends forgiveness of sins so that we would actually be called his people. Zechariah says this salvation only comes to his people, but this isn't just Israel anymore. By faith, God has called us his children, his people. Which is why Peter says in his letter, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so now church, we, with Zechariah, not like someone who feels uncomfortable because they crashed a party, but we with Zechariah can genuinely say, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. You have sent salvation and deliverance and you've done it in Christ alone. God in his mercy has delivered and saved his people. And he has done so by sending his own son, the very light of the world. This is why Zechariah is singing. And this is why we get to sing as well. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has saved his people. He has saved us. And as sunsets don't typically last, we know that this sunrise of the Son of God, as he has peaked over the mountain range in his coming and in his birth, we know that this sunrise will last forever. That we will bask in the sunlight of God's mercy and grace for all of eternity, for Christ himself is our light. May we bask in his sunlight together, church.